Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. I'm going to talk this morning about God's amazing grace uh, towards us. And uh, many um, of the uh, scriptures talk uh, about this or head it up as uh, the workers in the vineyard, but probably it's better being denoted as um, the compassionate employer because it's all about his amazing generosity and his grace to his workers. And I've got two main reflections this morning that I want to get hold, just two, two challenges. Number one, I want us to look at the activity of the Lord through the parable. And it should provoke and encourage the church, especially with the condition that we're in, in what we see as a post-Christian society, where there's been in the last decade a 15% drop in those who would say that they are Christian. Most are not in church, as we already know, on Sundays in this country. But the Lord is at work. He's powerfully at work. And I want us to, to hold that. And secondly, I want us to step inside the parable. That's what parables are about. The stories where we can get inside when the wages are being given out and allow the Holy Spirit to test our aspirations, our motives, our attitudes, and actions. 2016, I went to see St. Matthew's Passion and a bridge version with Wendy, but it was with a difference. It was held in a derelict Victorian market hall in Manchester. The differences were you were standing and they were professional opera singers from the group 16 together with homeless singers. Amazing initiative. And my skepticism was before, as Wendy will tell you this, is it value for money? It's just going to be a waste of time. I'm being honest with you. This parable has made me honest as I've read it. Well, in the rehearsals, the director was coming up from London quite uh, regularly, and she realized that right from the outset that many were struggling with mental and physical frailties and addictions. But she was taken in by what someone said, said, "Um, I won't let you down. He said, I'm usually at the back, but I'm not now. The director was in awe, she said, of what she experienced during those rehearsals. There was a politician at that time that she picked up and recorded. The homeless, they're the ones you step over on the way out of the opera, aren't they? What a terrible thing to say. But this was a unique experience, really was. The stepped-over ones took centre stage. And four homeless folk played and sang Jesus, which for me drew out that the cross is power through weakness. The subject matter was about, as we know, the cross, the greatest act of grace to mankind. Well, when it got to the ovation, they all stood in the line, professionals and homeless. And my eyes were drawn to this homeless man who just kept taking an exaggerated bow over and over again. He could not stop. 
It was like it was the pinnacle of his life. He would never be in this situation again. And I tell you, the ovation was, was remarkable. And there were, there, as he just repetitively bowed and bowed and bowed. Not a dry eye in the house. A world of ungrace had been paused that night when the audience were touched and flooded by an electric atmosphere of amazing grace. There are elements there that I lived out, Wendy lived out that evening, with just two performances, that are in this parable. The last being first, compassion, dignity, the unexpected, complaints, my complaints, and outrageous grace. Do you know the setting of this parable? It's, inter- it's, it's very, that we, we should, when we look at scripture, we sometimes look at it as, as isolated, but we always need to look at it in context. And the context of this parable comes from chapter 19. And it's Peter's comments to Jesus when the rich young ruler walks away. And he walks away because the love of money outweighs his love for God. And Peter turns, and probably I think of him smugly saying, well, we've left everything for you. What's our reward? What is in it for us? And Jesus says this. He says, you, and he specifically talks about the disciples, but he says, anyone who follows me, they'll get a hundred times. No one will miss out. You must realize that. But then he warned, the first will be last, and the last will be first. And the same phrase ends, as Julia read out, at the end of this parable. In other words, Peter, Jesus is saying, the kingdom of heaven is not about fame and fortune. It's not a reward system based on position or length of service. I thought they would have given me that laptop after 15 years working for it. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, sorry. (laughs) He said this. He said, look, he's saying, others will join. You, you disciples, you're not the favoured few for all time. Others will come and be just as favoured as you are. And then the parable is told, and we'll look at it more closely. Kenneth Bailey, who I think is absolutely brilliant, he points out that as today in the Middle East, as was then, there's a central point often in town where the unemployed gather before sunrise. And they're looking for employment on farms, or in this case, a vineyard. And what would happen, the employers, as here, would come to the meeting point and they would select workers. A bit like, do you remember school? Those team games where you were hoping that if you were selected first, you'd walk out, you know, your, your tin eye, but you were hoping you would not be last in line. That was not the thing, you know, to avoid at all costs the shame of being last. Well, they would be selected. They would, they would be there as they came. And there was an accepted rate of work for these low-skilled workers, which would be working for a 12-hour day, sunrise to sunset, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. for a denarius. That was the accepted rate. And it's important to realize that these are being low-skilled workers on the breadline, okay? 
They need to work to feed their families. Deuteronomy says that payment should not be withheld at the end of the day for this reason, so they could get food. And um, so that's the setting. But in this parable, what we see is the vineyard owner himself, he goes out to town. And so we ask the question, why? These are gentlemen farmers. They are privileged. Why is he going? Doesn't he have a foreman to manage affairs on a day-to-day basis? But he comes to town and he hires workers five times. Sunrise, 9 a.m., 12 noon, 3 p.m., and then 5 p.m., one hour before sunset. And so it starts. Sunrise, some workers, they're selected by this vineyard owner for the daily rate. They agree. A denarius, it's agreed. That's fine. That's accepted. But then early morning, at 9 a.m., he's back. And he's finding other men who are standing. And by that, the scripture's trying to say that they're, it's depicting that they're ready, they're eager, they're alert, they're in that line to be selected. And this time, he agrees to pay them, not a denarius, but what is just, what is right. And they agree, so he must be an honourable owner for them to take him at his word. Surprising, this action by the owner is then repeated at 12 noon at 3 p.m. with the same outcome. And we ask the question, surely the vineyard owner must be aware of resources that are needed to complete the task. You know, he's, he's, a, he's like Sam. He knows what he's doing. Why is he going back to the vineyard time and time again? Why does he keep repeating this journey? And then we kind of we think, is it the compassion for the unemployed that makes him go to and fro to the market square looking for the unemployed. And then finally, one hour before sunset, he's off again. He's back to town. And he no doubt he finds deeply depressed unemployed. They've been standing all day without being selected. You think they've been given up hope. In fact, it looks like they are now in a hopeless situation. No employment means no food for families. But these are the dregs of the workforce. No one wants to employ these guys. And he asks, quite simply, why are you still here? Well, we're here because no one has chosen to hire us. We're winning and we've not given up. And notice what is then remarkable in this parable is that the owner doesn't say, here's a denarius, maybe better luck tomorrow, knows no mention of money, but he says, come, come and work in the vineyard. So he doesn't give them a handout, he gives them a hand up. He lifts them out of despair and he gives them dignity and self-worth. I'll take you on, he says. Let's just stop at that point and look at some application. Firstly, you've guessed, the vineyard owner, he equates the God's action in the world. The parable is a picture of the Lord's own ministry. It's a picture of his costly love 
to the needy. Who's a God, he is full of compassion and he's out in front and he's working tirelessly. It's a wonderful picture of his incarnation. It mirrors Philippians chapter 2. That through his incarnation, the Lord poured himself out as a servant. He's the Lord, a Lord who gets his feet muddy. And it's also his act of redemption is shown, mirrored through atonement in bringing salvation and sorting out the mess of sin. He has lifted the needy out of despair through the cross, the wonderful grace of God on display. What a picture the parable paints going back and forth, back and forth. I've just been sorted by that. I've just been reading that. I can't stop thinking about the owner going back and forth, even at the 11th hour. What is seemingly a hopeless situation, there's a rescuing, a lifting out of despair, and a bringing of dignity. And when I read that, what impressed me is this. It's not the church, it's the Lord himself. The Lord who is out in front working salvation. I can be completely unaware of what is taking place. And I felt really humbled. It really brought a sense of sobriety into my life. Lord, then show me what you are doing and help me to graciously respond. Especially in the 11th hour scenario of the Lord reaching out and rescuing it. It is absolutely compelling. It should touch our hearts. No one is excluded. All who are winning are included and embraced. I've just got a couple of examples and I'll try and I may not get through both of them, but I just want to show you something about this that really has impacted me in my life. Firstly, I grew up in the Plymouth Brethren, and there are a few here. And as I did so, I had a cousin who was my age. And uh, there's just six weeks between us. We were quite close. And, but he was a high flyer in the church. He was like, he was a keen mind, a bright guy. And he used to underline his Bible or in everything, all the verses, you know. And I was thinking, I was in awe of him and thinking, why am I not like that? You know, why is he like this? And anyway, he, um, in his early 20s, he, he began, and I moved away to, um, from my town to be drifted away from the Lord. And um, he didn't just gradually drift. He, he fell spectacularly. I mean, I'm not going to go into any details, especially because we're, we're kind of stigmatized people in a way. But he fell in a way that I could not believe. Powerfully just, just fell away. And in my, I was in my 30s, and I was working in one of the faculties at university. I used to, would you believe it, pray and fast one day a week. I was, I was really eager for God in, in my you know, late 20s, early 30s. I still am, but you know, just, <laughs> the Lord keeps saying, what are you up to, John? What's going on now? Why are you not doing what you used to do? And I used to go out and I'd be praying and fasting and walk around the park. And as I did, and I, I, his name came into my head. I'd not seen him for a long time, I think, at that stage. And I started to pray for him. Lo and behold, I got home. And would you believe it? He phoned me out of the blue that same day. He said, John, I'm in a mess. Can you come and see me? And um, I, I just thought, I've got to go. got to go now. And he lived about 20 miles away, found his place where he lived went in, and the Holy Spirit, I never forgot, he spoke to me so powerfully, and he said this, you do not judge him, you show mercy and grace. 
And I was so overwhelmed that God had spoken because it's not usual for me that I didn't say a thing. Well, what I saw was a guy with a shaved head. He was smoking profusely. He was, he, he was such an anxiety and worry on his face. And I just listened to him. A few months later, I was at his funeral. And the person taking the funeral talked about the fact that he was so worried about meeting God. And he said what I ministered to him was grace and the grace of God. And that God accepted him. And he must hold on to that. And I thought, well, I never spoken to him about what happened to him. But what God spoke to him that he should speak to him about, he spoke to me exactly the thing. God is a God of grace. And I believe with all my heart, he's going to bring the prodigals back. He's out there. He's at the 11th hour. He's not given up. He's not giving up on children, aunts, uncles, mums and dads, friends, workforce. He's out there at the 11th hour. Even those who once walked with the Lord, he'll bring them back. He will bring them back. I'm not going to do the other example. But I'm going to go on. And I want to look then at the second part of the parable to, in order to finish at the end of the day. Because we're invited to stand metaphorically at the payment table. And as we do so, allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Big surprise. Let's just go back to the scripture. The foreman walks on the scene. Where's he been all this time, you think? Why hasn't he been involved in the day-to-day affairs of working and hiring, hiring men? And then the twist comes when the payment is made. The owner requests that the foreman pays everyone the same wage, a denarius. And more provocatively, pay the one-hour workers the first. And then so on in reverse order. What on earth is going on? You think if the ones that had worked the longest was paid first and then left, and so on, all would have been happy. There'd have been no aggro, as we will see. But this move it is deliberate. The vineyard owner wants everyone, including the 12-day shifters, to see the grace and the generosity he extends to all. Well, let's just get into the mindset of the 12-day workers. Maybe the shock and anxiety when the one hours receive the full day's pay. And then they think, well, surely the 3 PMers coming up, they're going to get more. This is a generous guy. Nope. They get the same. And so on. So the frustration turns quickly to anger. The grace generosity shown to the one-hour workers who will be absolutely overjoyed completely unexpected, is infuriating to the 12-hour workers. And then comes on scene the spokesman for them all. Not fair. We should have got more. Do you know, we've worked the 12 hours and in the heat of the day. And the owner responds, and he addresses the spokesman as one would a stranger, politely, but as a stranger, not as a close friend. You have no complaint 
he says. Justice is served. You got what you agreed. There's no one shortchanged in this parable. He said, I'm free to do what I want with my money. And just like you, I want the one-hour workers to go home and be able to feed their families as you will be able to. Don't try and dictate my generosity to those in need. You're expressing only self-interest and envy. Yes, you've worked through the heat of the day, but I was also going, once sat on my backside, I was going back and forth, back and forth to town, alleviating suffering. I'm just, but he wants them to know this, that justice also includes compassion and being merciful. But you are not caring for others. And with that, the parable abruptly concludes with no ending. But the phrase, the last will be first and the first last. Now, hopefully you're in the parable and you're standing there. Wonder, let's just apply to finish with, how many of us have sympathy with those 12-hour workers? Hands up. Come on, more I think, more, more of you did. Well, I did. I did, and when I read the prodigal son, I've got sympathy for the elder brother. When there's a party thrown for the guy who's been spending everything on prostitutes, etc. There's a a hint of sympathy here, I think, if we're honest. Because God's outworking of grace, it often goes against the way that we are wired. Living in the world that we do, competitive world, to demand your rights, to get what you pay for, working for money, wanting people to get what they deserve, nothing more, nothing less. We're like that, aren't we? And sometimes I think, well, I am, I won't push it on you. I think I'm better with the theory of grace than I am with applying it in practice. But I think what this parable is showing us is that grace cannot be calculated like a day's wages. It's not about counting. It's not about something we toil away as to earn, something we bargain with or store up. You know, I've done all this for you, Lord. (laughs) Just a reminder, I've, I've done this for years, actually. No, it's about receiving a gift from God. God does not make a contract with us. As though we're working for God and we can negotiate a better deal. But he's made a new covenant. And he's made it on the basis of promises. Hebrews 8, 6. And he promises us everything and asks for everything in return. And when he keeps his promises, just kind of alluded to, he's not rewarding us for effort, actually. But he's doing what comes naturally out of his overflowing, generous nature. Because we can often think ourselves as responsible workers. Even, God forbid, self-righteous. Oh, this world is becoming more ungodly, isn't it? You know, and we look down on other people. And even as as these, you know, self-respecting Christians, the employer's strange behaviour... As I think the original hearers would have had problems, it can baffle us. 
But if that is so, we missed, missing, risk missing the point that God dispenses, again, gifts, not wages. None of us, let's remind ourselves, none of us gets paid according to merit. Even the best of us here this morning, the most self-righteous, the most intellectual, we don't get paid that way. If we get paid on the basis of fairness, we would all be nowhere. Even the best of us. Absolutely nowhere. We cannot reduce grace to accountancy principles. Now does the notion, I deserve it, apply. Because if we begin to look at Christian service in any of a way that's kind of in an earned way, it will negatively impact us and others around us. And we'll be in danger, just as these 12-hour workers were, of becoming envious of God's generosity to others. So I want to ask us some questions in conclusion. Do we begrudge the outworking of grace on others? And sometimes in our lives, do we try and dictate God's will regarding others. You know, like Jonah. Jonah to the people of Nineveh. Come on, God, give grace a rest. (laughs) They are an undeserving bunch of wasters. (laughs) Nah, you don't think like that, do we? Because we can be prepared for God to strike a hard bargain. Well, I told you so. You shouldn't go that way. But a God who gives us as much as for an hour's work As for a full day, an extravagant God, wow. But that's the God we have. We have an absolutely extravagant God. We've all received grace, the unearned favor of God on our lives. And it's so impacted us that it influences the way then that we react. So in conclusion... Let us rejoice when the blessing of God falls on others around us rather than experiencing resentment in our hearts. Though it's a young congregation, I tell you, if God was to move in this nation, we'll become mums and fathers. Let's be mothers and fathers, ones who have a maturity, who love the outworking of grace. John Wimber One of my favorites said this. He said, because Pentecostals, Charismatics, always talking about revival. He says, you'll know when revival has broken out. When God moves at the church down the road, and we are just as glad as it happened in our own fellowship. Philippians talks about preferring others. About having the interest of others paramount, rather than self interest. If God blesses a person in the very area that we have been lacking or been praying for, we've been expectant about, when our response is, Lord, that's wonderful. Just allow more grace of your grace in my life. I rejoice with them because we're together. We're a community. We're a body. And in that respect, their success blessing is also mine. Also, their tears are my tears. At the end of the day, it's about God, and he is glorified. We are a family together. That's the important thing.